0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister answers criticism over a trip to his cottage. they telling Canadians to stay home.
1: After three weeks of my family living up at, uh, at Harrington uh, and me working here, I uh, went to join them for, for Easter. Uh, we continue to follow all the instructions from public health authorities.
0: The opposition raises concerns about the reliability of data coming from the World Health Organization. I think we all appreciate that the novel coronavirus is a global pandemic, uh, and that does require international collaboration, multilateral collaboration. The WHO is the international body that coordinates international response to pandemics. And so, of course, we work actively with the WHO. And Andrew Scheer says any changes to the House calendar must include opportunities for MPs to ask questions of the Prime Minister. Such an agreement must include regular opportunities for members of Parliament to question him as we would normally during question period. It must also include regular opportunities
1: for members of Parliament to question ministers In the House of Commons on all aspects of the government's response to COVID 19.
0: It's Wednesday, April 15th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us. Good morning, Mark. The Prime Minister was forced to answer questions yesterday about his recent trip on the Easter weekend to his cottage in Quebec. Uh, And I know some people are saying that this is making too much of an issue out of it. But I, I think there is something to the fact that our political leaders need to model the behavior that the public health officials are asking us all to adhere to. So do you think it is significant? And should the Prime Minister have avoided that trip if he could?
2: Well, you know, yes, in, is the short uh, answer to that question. Yes, he should have avoided going off uh, to, spending, uh, to spend the weekend with the family. I mean, look, he, he's a young family. His kids are small. I, I have a lot of sympathy for the plight that he's in, but millions of other Canadians are in the same boat. I couldn't, you know, go see my grandson on uh on Easter, and uh, or or my daughters, I mean, we're all carrying this along, and it's tremendously stressful and hard on all of us, not being able to have normal interactions with our loved ones, you know, so it's, uh, uh, he did not set a good example by going off to uh, Harrington Lake, I mean, uh, but, you know, at the same time, uh, there's a lot of pressure and stress on people, and uh, I don't know, sometimes we... We have uh, unrealistic expectations of our leaders. But, uh, I mean, and the other thing, too, of course, this is all colored by the fact that Andrew Shear packed a, a plane full of his kids uh, to fly, you know, back to Ottawa from Regina after they had been away for an yeah. extended March break. Uh, so, uh, you know, neither one of the two major political leaders, and I think you still have to call Shear that, he's still leader of the opposition, uh, you know, set a very good example, I don't think, for, for Canadians over the Easter weekend. And, uh, but, you know, it were ever thus, I guess, uh, the privileged uh, managed to be privileged.
0: Let's turn to the international story here and how it... Uh, affects Canada. There are some people raising questions about the reliability of information from the World Health Organization, from China and from other places. As well, some people are suggesting there should be sanctions against China, including former Liberal Justice Minister Erwin Kotler, saying that uh, there should be a form of punishment for the people who uh, were irresponsible at the outset of this crisis and and didn't share relevant information or even misreported information publicly what do you think about all of that
2: well you know there's going to be a good long time after this is over uh to find who did what when and why you know uh i don't think there's much doubt that the chinese their penchant you know for secrecy and and propaganda, uh, and and the fact that the way they, they run that country, I mean, it's like an entire country of a billion people run by a board of directors that has no accountability or outside uh, observation. So, you know, you're going to have abuses. Although I do think that now, it, it, you know, it's a useful distraction, I think, for some people to blame China while we're still in the middle of this thing. And, uh, you know, I personally think China has a great deal of responsibility here, but I have no idea how you would go about enforcing any of those things. I mean, I guess you could sanction some of these people, The you know, the Magnitsky type of sanctions that have been enacted against, uh, you know, Russian oligarchs and, and things like that. But, you know, that's a multi-year process. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, and I do think that it's, you know, look what's happening in the States, you know, where you just have Trump basically saying, like, none of this is my fault, let's just blame China and the WHO or anybody else, as long as you don't blame me. And, I mean, that type of really, uh, you know, craven responsibility dodging, I think, should be obvious to anybody who's watching what's going on.
0: There are provincial premiers who are talking about a path towards restarting the economy, but there are others who are saying it's, it's too soon, too fast. Um, and what do you think about how that is going to unfold? And and do public officials, government leaders, public health officials need to start talking about this, even if it's not going to happen immediately, just to give people some sense of where we're going and some hope for a future that is that does not feature all of us hunkered down at home?
2: Yeah, but I mean, yes, they should. I mean, they should be doing that now. There should be government task forces uh, within the provinces and, and in the federal provincial realm as well. Uh, and not just for the messaging aspect or, or to provide hope for the end of it. You know, they have to have a rational plan to get things going again. Um, you know, the, the beautiful chaos of capitalism will, will bring a lot of everything back to, uh, back to work, but there's gonna be huge gaps as well. And I don't even know if we know where they're going to be quite yet. So uh, this is vitally important for the national economy uh, that that it's done with some sort of coherent uh, fashion. I mean, I'm not saying centrally plan everything in Ottawa. And go according to some great five-year plan or anything like that. But what I am talking about is setting up the mechanisms so that the all the industrial sectors that, you know, banking, finance, industry, shipping, everything, is, is got a sense of where the other guys are going, so that they can do this in a coherent way, and there, we don't just flop out of one crisis and into another one uh, for the lack of planning. So there's no reason now why everybody can't start working on that in concrete ways. Uh, to be ready for the end of of social distancing and and the crisis that we're in.
0: CBC News is quoting the president of the Privy Council, Dominic LeBlanc, cabinet minister, as saying that uh, the federal government is considering legislation to make it an offense to knowingly spread misinformation that could harm people during this pandemic. Uh, Is that desirable, and is it even feasible or reasonable at this time?
2: Well, it it might be desirable uh, because the spread of, of you know the willful spread of misinformation could get people killed in this environment, uh, but it's not practical. It is not going to happen while we are uh, in the middle of a pandemic response. Uh, Parliament is barely getting anything done at all, let alone uh, you know something like that. Uh, we still have the Charter of Rights. I still have perfect free speech as far as I'm concerned. Um, And one would hope that uh, we haven't lost our marbles completely in Canada and are no longer able to use social pressure, peer pressure, public shaming and and debunking uh, to uh, maintain a clear stream of information. You know, Mark, I think Canadians are are pretty astute people and they're, they're able to see through um a lot of misinformation and lies and propaganda um and it's up to the government to make sure it keeps uh you know all levels of government to make sure they keep relaying good reliable trustworthy information because that's the best remedy uh for misinformation and uh some law to prevent it is not going to get done anywhere near time so what are they going to do? have a law Bans people from talking about stuff they talked about six months or two years before that. It's it's really illogical, and and I think this is the kind of thing we have to be uh, vigilant about uh, as this thing plays out.
0: All right, let's talk about what happens when Parliament of some kind resumes uh, during this crisis. Uh, people have been talking about how there is a need for mps to to gather to make decisions whether that's uh, there's been debate over whether that should happen virtually or in ottawa Uh, and andrew Scheer, the conservative leader yesterday was talking about the need to be able to ask the prime minister questions this is a time of emergency but uh, there are people who feel very strongly that our our basic uh, democracy must continue to function and that the normal rules should apply as much as possible what do you think about that
2: well, yeah, as much as possible is that's the key part, I guess, eh mark. Uh, you know the it's just not you know feasible and safe to pack three hundred and thirty eight people into a, a room uh, every day to stage political theatrics. you know, uh, you can do that with far fewer people. In fact, there's never three hundred and thirty eight people in the in the chamber as as you know. Uh, anyone who's covered parliament knows there's often a skeleton crew in there. Uh, uh, just enough to make it look on camera like there's, there's people there, uh, it's not required to have uh, an elaborate question period every day. And I'm thinking as well, I mean, I don't know how many people it takes to staff up the House of Commons, but it's in the hundreds. It has to be. Security alone uh, is, is a mammoth undertaking. So, you know, the, there's no need to, uh, you know, the, each party can designate people who can make the case for their party. They can hold the government to account, uh, and they can initiate government uh, you know, programs and, and policies. They don't all have to be in the chamber of the House of Commons at this time. So, uh, you know, let's be safe, and uh, let's not overestimate the importance of a chamber full of, of people yelling stuff across at each other, which mm. is 80% of what goes on.
0: Great points, Dan. I don't
2: think Canadians are demanding that either, Mark. I really don't. I think they just want to make sure the government's run properly. That's it.
0: All right. Great to hear from you on all these topics, Dan. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for the call, Mark. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for The Chronicle Herald.
1: These are tough times, but we're going to help you through them. To set your community up to come back strong when things get better.
0: Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, now is the time to plan for life after the crisis. The Star writes, There seems to be a fear that any public talk of going back to work will detract from the message that we should do all the things necessary to stop the coronavirus from spreading. Asked whether his government has a plan to reopen the economy, the Prime Minister deflected the question as much as possible. We're well into the fifth week of the lockdown, and it's time for the government to develop a strategy for resuming public life. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues the next coronavirus crisis will be Canada's cash-strapped cities. Mason writes, There is no question the pandemic has put cities in dreadful positions. Mayors have been complaining for years that the current tax revenue-sharing system burdens them with an outsized responsibility to citizens, given the very real limits to their revenue-raising abilities. A once-in-a-generation economic calamity, therefore, would place a disproportionate hardship on municipalities and limit their ability to cope for any length of time. That is precisely what we are beginning to see happen. In McLean's, Scott Gilmore argues, people are risking death so we can stay home, and we need to repay this debt. Gilmore writes... Everyone is talking about the sudden revelation our most essential workers are among the least paid. When this ends, there will be an overwhelming desire to put everything back to where it was. But that would be a monumental mistake. The crisis has laid bare some fundamental problems in our society that we cannot ignore. The only way to pay our debt to all those who are laboring in low-wage jobs to get us through this pandemic is to make sure it doesn't happen again. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The governor of the Bank of Canada will announce the bank's latest interest rate this morning, and he'll also release his monetary policy report on the state of the Canadian economy. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more.
1: Mark, Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Poloz will speak to reporters at 10.30 Eastern time from the bank's media centre in Ottawa. It's not expected that the bank will further cut its interest rate after having cut its overnight rate to a quarter of a percentage point about two weeks ago. When it made those cuts, Governor Polas made it clear that that was the absolute bottom limit to which the central bank would go. The governor recognizes that this massive downturn in the economy is not liable to be affected much by interest rates and stimulus as it's a forced shutdown by government order and a result of a disruption in world production. The interesting thing to watch for today will be the bank's monetary policy and what kind of forecast it has for where the Canadian economy is going to go in the months to come. In its latest forecast just released, the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, predicted the worst global recession since the 1930s. And for Canada, it forecasts that our economy would shrink by 6% annually in 2020. Now, after that, the IMF predicts that Canada would rebound with a 4.2% growth in 2021. So, Mark, it'll be interesting to watch what exactly the Bank of Canada has uh, as a prediction for what's now being called the Great Canadian Lockdown.
0: Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will provide his daily update on the coronavirus situation, and Conservative leader Andrew Scheer will hold a news conference in Ottawa to speak about the scheduled return of Parliament. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, April the 15th. Tune into CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day for coverage of the coronavirus crisis and for primetime politics tonight. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.